I'm going to reread Mark 14. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating a perfume made from essence of nard, she broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly, but Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why, why criticize her for doing such a thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. We kind of talked about this in our questions, but what's so significant about this lady's actions? Most importantly, it was the sacrifice, I think. She sacrificed money, almost a year's wages, 300 days, and I, did the, I took the liberty of figuring out what I would make in 300 days, and I, ra- I make uh, about $150 a day between my jobs. Well, it's actually about $149.70. So for the sake of today, I gave myself a 30-cent raise and figured it out. And for 300 days of work, I would make $45,000. That's how much we'd be sacrificing today. If I followed the steps of this woman, I would be sacrificing half of my home. I would be sacrificing a pretty nice car. I'd be sacrificing probably a whole college education if you lived at home, or maybe one semester if you went to a private school. She sacrificed not only the money that could be made by the very rare oil, but also the resource of the jar. I mean, even if she had just dumped the oil out on somebody's head, on Jesus' head, she still could have had the jar, you know, to use for some other oil. But she even sacrificed the jar, which is made of alabaster, which Larry informed us is a form of marble, right? Yes. And so marble, even then, is not a very cheap commodity to have. But it's also significant about this lady's actions is because we see in this moment that there is a humility about her that is not displayed by any of the other people in that room. The humility to come in front of a group of people that are eating dinner in front of a great teacher, because at this time Jesus is pretty established, to come in front of a great teacher who has been known to do miracles and forgive people. She humbles herself and gives all that she can. It's also special to look at this lady because she's very bold for the same exact reasons. To be humble is a bold thing to do. To have humility in front of a group of people is a very, very courageous thing to do because we don't know how people are going to react. We see how people are going to react in, in this scripture. We see, well, in this story, I should say. We see how the people react. They scold her and they get indignant, they get angry, they ask, why did you do that? It could have been used for something else. Earlier, some people cheated. They looked at Luke, right? So if you want to turn to Luke 7, this is what's called a parallel, a parallel verse. So the Gospels, they all follow Jesus' life, right? And then some of the stories are in multiple uh, Gospels. So we can look between uh, all the different stories to kind of see how the same story is told. I like Luke 7 because Jesus, in only the way that Jesus can, teaches this story not by rebuking the people who are angry at her right away, but rather by telling a great 
story. But this is what they had to say, excuse me, they had to say about the lady in verse, or chapter 7, verse 39. When the Pharisees who had interviewed, inter, sorry, when the Pharisees who invited them saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know that what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. So that makes this action not good. Not because Jesus is getting a bunch of oil dumped on his head or this lady in Luke is crying at his feet and wiping up the tears with her hair or she's broken the jar. That's not what they're really worried about. They're worried about that this lady is a sinner and she's touching Jesus. And if Jesus was such a prophet, then he should know she's a sinner. And why in the world would he ever let such a disgusting person touch him? That's why you have to be humble and bold and courageous because when you go out on a limb and you, you bury your soul to a group of people, you never know how people are going to react to your vulnerability. That's why it's so hard in the church to be vulnerable, right? We like to feel safe and protected in our own thoughts and our own comfort and even, not even, even in just ourselves. Sometimes we don't even open up to our own family or our own spouse because actions like this scare people away. Why would he be touching her? But we go back to Mark and we see Jesus doesn't say anything except, why are you rebuking her? He sticks up for the woman right away. Why? Why are you rebuking her? She's done all that she could, which is, she didn't do something amazing. She didn't do something extravagant, I guess is a better word. She did all that she could. Somebody in this group over here said, a lot of times we don't give Jesus all of what we have. We just give him the scraps and the leftovers of what we have from, you know, whatever's left after we've done what we want to do with it. The reaction of those people around Jesus, if you want to look at all the different parallel verses of this story, I can give them to you after service, but generally there's anger, there's a scolding of the woman, there's uh, even a feeling of superiority of the people who are around her. They say, this could have been used for the poor. Well, let me direct your attention to John chapter 12. You can turn there if you'd like. This one's not on there, Jay, so you don't have to. This is what they have to say. This is a... a But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he was about to betray him. Jesus said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. That's what it says. That's what John says about Judas. Not a very rosy picture he paints. But how many times are we helping ourselves? How many times do we say, why does that person spend the money on that? Why does that person go to a missions trip? Why does that person give this much money to church? They could be using it for something else. How many times are we Judas ourselves and just help ourselves to what's God's? So you can't assume, based on these parallel verses, that the, the Pharisees were truly concerned about the poor concerned about selling that perfume and, and giving it to the poor. They're angry about the action, weren't they? I mean, if this lady had never come into 
this room where these men were, and she never even broke the jar or poured the oil, would they have been mad that it was just sitting on her jar waiting for her to use it at some other time? Probably not. That's my assumption, but probably not. This is just a chance for these guys to say, we're so much better than this lady. Who is this lady? We're going to go back. We're going to go old school. We're going to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. So this is pre-Jesus, right? This is, well, I mean pre-Jesus on earth because Jesus is eternal. So Elijah went out and found Elisha, son of Saphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go back with you. Elijah replied, Go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So Elisha returned his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. You know what a lot of people think when they first read this, this verse is, why didn't Elisha just spread out the ox among the townspeople? Why didn't he just give every, if he was going to kill them and get rid of them anyways, why didn't he just give them to the townspeople? Because farming is a huge industry, and ox I'm guessing we're not cheap. They're not cheap today. I mean, I'm not a farmer, but 12 teams of oxen. He just kills them and gives it all away. Why didn't Elisha just let them live? Does anybody have any thoughts? Why didn't he just let all the oxen live and maybe come back to it when he was done? Or Kathy? That was his livelihood. It was his livelihood. So why didn't he let them live? It's a clean break. Yeah, you, you have to make yourself dead to the old to be made alive in the new. There is, yes, there is an insane amount of trust in following God with that. Burning his bridge. These are all great answers. And that's what I believe, too, is that he was simply, I'm all in, God. Nothing to go back to. Now, I don't know how many people here have ox or oxen. You have a cow or a steer, so I guess maybe you're going to be asked to, and then give us all the hamburger meat afterwards. <laughs> These prayers, this prayer of action in uh, first kings of killing the oxen, the prayer of breaking the alabaster jar and anointing Jesus, the prayer of humbling yourself in front of a group of people that you may or may not know, are all prayers about brokenness. In order to be reconciled with God, you have to become broken. It's just, it is. You have to die to yourself, and then we have to realize that we're not really in alignment with God. When the serpent separated Eve would she attack herself? And then the image of God is destroyed. We are not in alignment with who God created us to be. We have to die to the world and die to ourselves. And I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that you prayed 
the prayer from last week. Psalms. Psalms 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Somebody asked me last week in our small group, why is this a, why is this a dangerous prayer? Why is it dangerous? Well, because it breaks you. <laughs> yeah. It causes you to come up and stand in front of a, your family of church congregation and bury your soul. It makes radical changes in your life. It causes somebody like me to stop what I was doing, start getting a master's degree and become a campus pastor and a full-time worship musician. This prayer is going to be powerful. If you've prayed this prayer and you've truly meant it and you seek after God, you might be changed and it might be scary. It might be scary. When you're broken, you can be rebuilt. Elisha was broken. Jesus himself was broken and put up on a cross, but he was made new. The lady, she was broken. In a parallel verse, it says her sins were forgiven by Jesus right then and there. In order to be reconciled with God, you have to become broken. That's us. That's us as individuals. But what's it look like as a church to be broken. We talked last week, what's it look like to say this prayer? Search us, O God, and know our heart. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. Point out anything in us that offends you and lead us along the path of everlasting life. So if we prayed that as a church, what does it look like when we are broken? Well, it might look like getting a new campus. I got some pictures to help illustrate. It might look like starting a new campus back in this part of the city that people are afraid to go into. It might, it might look like Backyard Bible clubs here in our community and the communities all across Northwest Ohio. It might look like taking a city park, taking control and rededicating it back to God. It might look like getting a Gaga Ball Pit grant to help bring kids together into an area of community so we have a chance to worship with them, and to show who God is. Let me tell you a quick story about this grant here, and I don't know if I told you this before, but there were six people who got grants from the East Toledo Club. Uh, one other person, they got a playground grant to clean up some playground equipment around them. Three other people got money to help them with their food pantry, and one person got money to help them with the wheelchair lift. We were the last people to be called up, and then they said, we're giving them money for an octagonal playground game, right? So it seemed pretty trivial might have been the right word at that time. Kind of insignificant that all these people are getting money to help with food banks and wheelchair access, and here we are trying to set up a gaga ball pit, which nobody in that room had any idea about what it was. See, some people in this room. Gaga ball, we have one at the Oregon campus. It's the octagon, dodgeball, and foursquare. A lot of fun for kids. Not for us, I would get hurt again. But as I was sitting there thinking about this moment and thinking about why it was so significant, being different and following God's plan for our campus in this area allows conversations to happen that didn't happen with other people. Food pantries, that's a church thing, right? That's, churches have done that forever. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do a food pantry. We shouldn't do the food co-op. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is when God opens up a door for us to act in our community in a way that's unique, that can connect to people that we don't normally connect to, 
Well, why aren't we doing that all the time? In addition to the food co-op. I had more conversations about what we were doing in the park because of a Gaga Ball, Gaga Ball Pit grant than all those other people who had food pantry grants got. I got to talk about what we were doing in our community. I got to invite people out to the church, out to the park next summer when we have church in the park. Following God might look different for every single person, and it probably is going to look different for different churches. You know what that is? That's okay. I'm here to tell you that is okay. If we are seeking God first, and we are glorifying God with what we are doing, then nobody can really speak poorly about what we are doing. And then finally, what else does it look like if we are broken? It could lead to something called Bruce the Spruce. This was put in this past weekend. Who named it, by the way? AJ, Bruce the Spruce. It's such a good name. This is an amazing tree, an amazing opportunity for us to interact again in a different way with our community. This is seven foot right now, I believe. Right? Is that right? seven or eight foot right now, and it's supposed to get way, way bigger. 50 feet. That's tall. So think about it. The basketball hoop rim is 10 feet. So five more, four more of those, that's 50 feet. And another great thing is Renee and I were in the park yesterday afternoon. We were just hanging out, and we had several conversations with families that were playing in the park that because of us, they now feel the park is a safe place to take their children again. That some people weren't, they wouldn't even allow their children to go there because the park was so dangerous. They're actually worried about some of the stuff. They said they keep eyes out so that the kids don't vandalize. But they said they can't get over the fact that we took it upon ourselves to do this and to bring it back to their community. And they were just so happy about it. And we explained to them the purpose eventually what the tree is going to be because we're going to let the tree settle this year because he said it's a good thing to it since it's not shot. But starting next Christmas, it, we are going to make the official Christmas tree for the East Toledo community. And we told everybody around, we'll get the word out throughout the year. Next year, we want every family that in that area that wants to participate to donate an ornament in memory of their family that we'll collect them as a whole. And that every year, even long after they're gone, that they will still have a representation of their family in East Toledo. And I can show you all individually, if you didn't see it on Facebook, one of the most amazing pictures that happened yesterday with that tree. But we wanted a living legacy of something God created because the shelter houses are great, the grills are great, the picnic tables are awesome, but they're all man-made and eventually they'll wear out and disappear. But as long as that park exists, as long as this country exists, this planet, or Jesus comes back, as long as it doesn't die, that tree will be a living reminder of the work that God is doing in East Toledo. Because as Renee and I talked yesterday, I thought that tree is a perfect representation of our theory of the triangle. Because the tree will reach up to God, it will reach the soil down into the ground, and it will reach out to the community. What's next for our church? I already told you I'm praying twice a week in the school now. We're going to the schools. What's next? What's next? How is God going to lead our church in the way everlasting? 
and pull other people along with us for the ride. And I ask you, I end with this, in all of this, what is our motivation for all of our actions? What's our motivation? It should, should be to honor and glorify God. I hope that's what it is. Because personally, myself, Jeremy England, is not interested in becoming famous in the Toledo public school system for any other reason than just to pray. I mean, I don't, I don't need to be famous there. You know, I don't need to be that weird guy that comes in and hangs out. It's awesome to hear when the teachers say, this really makes our day different. And I said this earlier, and I said, well, I'm not doing really much except talking to God with all of you in the same room. So if you're praying, that's making the difference. God's making the difference. We just get to be the hands and feet. So if God breaks you and God destroys you in order to be rebuilt in the way everlasting, how are you going to react to it? How are you going to act? Are you just going to just wake up the next day and say, well, the sun is shining, the birds are singing, I don't need to do anything anymore because obviously God fixed it. But what you're going to find out is God keeps going after you and going after you. All right. We're going to pray and we're going to take... We're going to take communion. So if you pray with me, Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the people in this congregation. Thank you for your people in this room. I pray that they are, they are reaching out to you every single day and asking, asking for your hand to lead their life. I thank you for humility of the people in this room. I thank you for the boldness of the people in this room. I thank you for the Holy Spirit moving in the lives of people in this room. Lord, I thank you for this community that feels comfortable enough to take off masks and to reveal who the true you is. Lord, it's a, it's a scary and it's a dangerous prayer, but I pray this for me. I pray that you break me. I pray that you break me in order to rebuild me. Lord, I pray that you break this church so that we can follow you in a more righteous path. Thank you for the doors that have opened up by the Holy Spirit preceding us. I, can, I pray that you continue to soften the hearts of those that we are interacting with and we can change lives. Rather, we can, we can point people to you who will change lives. I ask all this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.